Chinese herbs are not necessarily hard to grow, for sure. However, it's very easy to grow them with poor quality. There's certain ways to grow them so that they have uh, the expected chemical uh, components that, in the end, equal good medicine. I'm Michael Max, and this is Geological. Ideas about success get instilled in us at a young age. And especially as we move into a practice and we move into a life, success is something that it seems that we're often chasing, looking for, and trying to understand. One of the things that I've found over the years is that success doesn't seem to solve anything. I like to think it will. I like to think that success will take away the discomfort of uncertainty and bring me to a steady state of comfort and ease. But it doesn't quite work that way. Success seems to be more likely to bring a whole new set of problems, albeit higher quality problems, but problems nonetheless. Success doesn't erase insecurities, shadows, or unmanifested potentials. If anything, success takes whatever feelings I'm currently experiencing and ratchets up the emotional intensity. Having more money doesn't always alleviate concerns about security, and at times it can throw more fuel on that fire. For me, having a more interesting and higher level project with increased responsibility usually doesn't result in a better night's sleep. Have you noticed that getting that dream home, that perfect partner, the ideal job, or the new set of skills that put you in higher demand all raise the bar on expectations and brings forth a whole new set of uncertainties? Mistakenly, I have thought that success is reaching a certain place in life where I can take my foot off the gas pedal. But really, it's the accumulation of experience and the willingness to unlearn what I think should be so that allows me to slip free of the limitations that I so often urgently argue for. Success doesn't solve all of our problems. It doesn't repair family relationships. It's powerless to erase the mistakes of childhood. It doesn't stop the mind from conjuring excuses. And it doesn't take away the gnawing hunger of wishing that this moment were different from what it actually is. Success certainly doesn't mean that challenges and difficulties no longer come our way. They do, and they're bigger and with sharper teeth. They tend to move faster, involve more complexity, and threaten larger consequences, too. That curious fantasy that success solves problems is the lie that keeps me on the treadmill of it's just around the corner. It's an illusion that some unchanging state of complete ease is just up the road, where I can coast without a thought as to where I'm headed. Success reminds me of the teenager who thinks a driver's license will bring true freedom, only to discover the previously hidden costs of insurance premiums and car repair bills. So often success is not what I imagined. At times it's brought about more restriction than freedom, and yet at other times opened a wider field of liberation, an opportunity that my limited imagination could have conjured. These geological conversations come to you through the generous support of our sponsors and members. All the sponsors here provide helpful products or services that you'll find beneficial in your clinical work. Need to fill up the appointments created by late cancellations? Jane can help with that problem. Mayway Herbs is celebrating the 55th year of their family business. You're invited to make use of their vast library of resources. Concerned about the health of Mother Earth? AccuFast Needles is doing something about that. You can too. And later in the show, listen for a special offer from Andrew Sturman on 
Diet as Medicine, and the folks at Blue Poppy share some thoughts on the safety of herbal medicine. Do be sure to visit the sponsors page on the Geological website to take advantage of all the special offers our terrific sponsors have for listeners of the podcast. Hi folks, I'm Yvonne Lau, president of Mayway Herbs. Our family business turns 55 this year, and we wouldn't have gotten this far without the love and support of our community. We're truly grateful and promise you that we'll continue to work hard to support you and your practice. Please visit mayway.com to find the perfect plum flower brand formula or formulate your own in our dispensary. Our site also has lots of articles, videos, and herbal recipes for you to explore whenever you need a break. And tune into our podcast, Chinese Medicine Matters, for insightful discussions on all things TCM. Learn about treatment strategies and powerful herbal remedies, and enjoy bits of Chinese culture. This month, we're focusing on the treatment of various skin concerns like itchy skin and stubborn acne. And if you're a practitioner, get a discount on our skin health formulas this month too. Just visit meiwei.com. This season and every season, trust Meiwei for your health and wellness needs. And as always, thanks for supporting Real Chinese Medicine. Change is never easy. This is evidenced by the fact that the scales weighing the number of people on the green side of change versus the number of people on the old, hard-on-the-planet ways of doing things are still way out of balance. Our planet is suffering, but our profession has an easier way to shift the scales. The founders of AccuFast Earth-Friendly Needles started with a great needle and then created our industry's first eco-friendly packaging and reusable accessories. They also give back to nature by planting trees. I encourage you to challenge yourself to make the change. Ride the wave of spring yang chi and make the switch by joining me and the multitude of colleagues who made the change. Now you can celebrate Earth Month in April with pride knowing that you are helping us to tip the scales of planetary health towards a greener, healthier, and healing planet. Visit www.acufastneedles.com to get on board. You've probably already heard me here on the podcast share about Jane, my favorite all-in-one practice management software that helps you to run your practice online and manage no-shows. The team at Jane understands that life happens, and sometimes that means your patients are unable to make their scheduled appointment. If that's the case, a quick and easy way to fill those unexpected gaps in your day is by utilizing Jane's time-saving waitlist management features. You can take advantage of automated SMS text or email notifications to notify eligible waitlisted patients that there's an opening so they can easily scoop up an available time. If you know you're ready to sign up, you can mention the show or use the code CHEOLOGICAL for a one-month grace period on your new Jane account. Visit jane.app to get started today. I've got Peg Schaefer with me today. Peg is involved in something really important to us Chinese herbal medicine practitioners. She grows herbs. You know, a lot of us spend inordinate amounts of time learning how to use the medicine, but we don't know much about growing the medicine. Peg's gotten into that. We're going to get into this conversation. Peg, welcome to Geological. Thank you for inviting me, Michael. I'm glad to be here. I'm delighted to have you. So a question that I usually ask people at the beginning of a podcast is, uh, how did you get here? Whatever got you started 
with Chinese medicine and in particular, I mean, life is busy and complicated enough. Why would you get into growing herbs? Well, I got into, involved in Chinese medicine for a number of reasons. I was using Chinese medicine and um, I was an organic grower of veggies and I was starting to wonder what was in the Chinese herbs. There were a lot of powders at that point, uh, tea pills, not so much of, shall we say, whole herb. And uh, I'm a questioning sort of person. So it was like, what is, what is this powder that I'm taking? And obviously it works because it was having great effect. When I had a change of venue, which was precipitated by a car accident, unfortunately, getting rear-ended is less fun. It'll change your life, won't it? Yeah, right. But luckily, uh, I was uh, functioning after a bit of time. And with the help of Chinese medicine, I was back on track. And so I had a break. And so I was, well, okay, what can I do? What can I, because I, I ended my job. And so I was like, okay, now I need to find something else to do. I'm an agriculturist. And I had a small plot of land and my acupuncturist was going, grow Chinese herbs, grow Chinese herbs. And I was like, I don't know anything about it. And there was nothing on the internet. The internet was young. This was the late 90s and there wasn't much out there. And I spent two years looking at herbs and growing and trying to look at the market and, and finally decided to get into it. I started small and then I had the lucky break. I was going down to the ACTCM and checking things out there. That's the American College of Traditional Chinese Medicine in San Francisco, which is just a little over an hour uh, from Petaluma, where we have our farm, the Chinese Medicinal Herb Farm. And so I was going down there and I met a gentleman named uh, Robert Newman, uh, who was just getting ready to graduate. And he had collected a, a large amount of uh, Chinese herbs. And he had sourced them uh, from China via basically the mail. And it just doesn't happen like that anymore. So when he graduated, he was invited to, to go to Nanjing Botanical Gardens as the guest curator of their medicinal collection. And so before he went off, he disseminated his collection to six different growers in, throughout the United States. And at that point, it was, you know, a significant collection. At this point, fast forward another 20 years or so, it's just I still have the collection and there's only a couple of us left. Uh, most people have aged out. So I'm the youngest by a, a, a number of years. And so we have maintained the collection and then, of course, found a number of Chinese herbs, other herbs along the way. So we have more than 500 different um, Chinese medicinal plants in our collection. It's a significant collection at this point, and we are endeavoring at this point to get them into a public institution to make them available for teaching and for viewing and for the public at large. Wow. First of all, you started off as a farmer. You were already growing stuff. Yeah. So you've got a background in horticulture and love of plants and, and that sort of thing. Yes. I, I have a certificate in greenhouse management. Okay. And then because of life circumstances, in this case, a car accident, you ended up with acupuncture, you got this introduction to Chinese herbs, and then you kind of got curious about it. Yeah. And so I started farming Chinese herbs, and then we changed farms so I could have more space. Um, and at that point, I had already had a thriving internship going and where I had people coming on farm that were both farmers or students or acupuncturists or various and assorted other interested folks. 
And we would grow out the herbs. Uh, we'd spend the morning either growing, harvesting, cultivating, whatever it was of the Chinese herbs. And then the afternoon, I would lecture about what we were doing, how we were doing, why we were doing it, how others grow. So with the whole aspect of folks getting into growing so that they could grow efficacious herbs anywhere. So we had people coming from all over the place. And so I wanted people to go out to be able to grow Chinese herbs with good quality and with intent toward good quality. Because I realized from my early experiments that you can really grow, Chinese herbs are not necessarily hard to grow for sure. However, it's very easy to grow them with poor quality. There's certain ways to grow them so that they have uh, the expected chemical uh, components that in the end equal good medicine. They've been cultivating this stuff in, in China for thousands of years. I suspect there's a lot of knowledge that gets passed down or is just built into the system these days. And then, of course, it, it, more in the modern age here, we've got you know mass-produced farming that brings in a whole different element. You bring up the point here of the herbs are not hard to grow, but growing them so that they've got the right juice, so to speak, for being used for healing. That's a different thing. That that takes a different kind of focus. How do you go about learning and discerning how to grow herbs in a way that makes them medicinally efficacious? First of all, I'm taking the cues from Mother Nature, so I'm just I'm just following suit or trying to not get in the way because the empirical knowledge that Chinese medicine is based on and what is taught to the students and thus what is used in clinic has been based on uh, wild cultivated plants or wild plants. Many Chinese herbs um, are still wild collected. More and more, they are being cultivated, but there's still a bunch of them that are wild harvested. Everything is based on the qualities that are imbued by being a wild quality plant or by being grown in the wild, such as uneven water distribution, um, hot and cold pressures, pest pressures, oftentimes, if not, if not always, low fertilizer inputs. Nature is capricious. If we don't give these herbs what we call in the industry a luxury, too much fertilizer, too too easy care, you know, too too much of a good life, then they become a little bit stressed. And when the plants become stressed, they start to put out chemicals to try and protect themselves. Say an herbivore walks by a shanyao plant or walks by a huangqin plant, uh, you know, and say it eats some of the plant. That plant then goes, oh, oh, I'm under siege. I need to put out some chemicals to protect myself, maybe to make myself not taste very good. They'll put out the chemicals that then in the long run end up being some of the chemical components that we are looking for as efficacious medicinal plants. Maybe it's not Shenyao and maybe it's not Huangqin. I don't know each, each individual plant, but certainly for a lot of them, certain pressures will bring out uh, the active components that we are looking for. And so we have to 
allow for those pressures to be able to make efficacious plants. And it was just almost serendipitous that we discovered it here. In China, they knew it for a long time. And now we have all of these resources that are available to us now. Um, There's a lot more information out there than there was years ago. And so we were reinventing the wheel, so to speak, here. And now we're able to compare back a little bit more. There's a lot more openness. There's a lot more availability of knowledge. And so we're able to compare and it's like, oh yeah, okay, right. That makes sense. And we learned that here and it it works here and we're testing our herbs here and people are testing our herbs and we're finding that they have the the same uh, chemical components that would be expected and are illustrated in the books that talk about which components we'd be looking for. I love how you talk about you took your cues from Mother Nature. And one of the things that it sounds like you pay attention to is giving the herbs a certain kind of environment to grow in, not too luxurious, because in a situation where things are too easy, there's no resiliency built in. If there are some pressures and some stresses, you're going to get a much more robust plant. I mean, you certainly see this with human beings as well. You put people in a place where they don't really have to deal with the stressors of life, eh, they don't know how to deal with the stress when it comes along. Right. Same thing for plants, it sounds like. Yeah, for sure. I mean, I hear you say that, and my first thought is, well, that's brilliant. And then I think about it a little more and I go, well, actually, that's common sense. It sure is. In terms of the information that you now have access to, that you're looking at and kind of being able to go, oh, check, right, yeah, that makes sense, we're doing that. Where is this information coming from? Is it from other growers in the States? Is it from other horticultural uh, societies or interests? Or are you getting this from China? Where does this come from? It is not coming from the United States. Uh, We don't have many studies going on, and it's not the interest of necessarily anybody here. However, it is true for all, pretty much all herb using cultures throughout the world uh, that to grow like this, there's, there's a whole bias toward uh, of pretty much every herb using culture of a wild collected plants over cultivated plants. And I think it's for the very reason that, that the herbalists know that the, the, the herbs that are wild tend to imbue the properties that they are looking for. But however, I'm I'm also quite into conservation. That's a very big interest of mine. And we're having quite a bit of issues. We could just talk about conservation for a while. Uh, however, to keep it short, there are pressures on especially certain Chinese herbs where we are heading toward uh, commercial extinction or possible extinction, certainly a narrowing of the genetics. And so some of these herbs are under threat for their survivability. And uh, thus, you know, Chinese medicine is going to have to wake up at some point and take note and take action, or we may lose some of these herbs. We've already lost some of the major historic herbs of India, and I'd not like that to happen to Chinese medicine as well. So we have to be really careful about how, how we go about growing these herbs Can you give an example of some herbs that you would consider currently under threat, what we might be able to do about it, and how people doing the kind of work that you're doing right now might be helpful in keeping these substances around so that maybe they get repopulated in the wild, 
or at least they're grown in a situation where we would have access to them. There's a a thought that I, I tend to call uh, cultivate to conserve. And so if we start to grow the herbs that are imperiled uh, in the wild or in Chinese medicine, then we can uh, feed the supply chain so that so that herbalists still have these herbs without too much pressure on over-harvesting or wild harvesting so that we actually have them uh, for the future. But we could, and we are heading towards actually just picking the bejeebers out of them into extinction. And it's just a few of them. There's a, a whole gradation from you know black to white about who's in peril and who isn't. We have the CITES list, C-I-T-E-S, and that's the Convention in Trade of uh, Endangered Species. And that is a list that actually has a fair amount of Chinese herbs on it. Some of them that are on there are Cesarea costas, uh, which is also at Glandia lapa. Uh, that is uh, one of the herbs that is on the CITES Appendix 1 list, which means it's most threatened. And so that one's in great peril. And so if we can grow that, and serve the industry, we can let nature try and find its balance and make it so that we are not, as an industry, causing extinction. So there's actually a lot of these herbs. There's um, there's aloes wood, um, there's aloe, uh, there's a number of, of Chinese herbs. In my book, The Chinese Medicinal Herb Farm, published by Chelsea Green, we have a whole table in there uh, that is uh, that offers which herbs are now on the CITES list. Dendrobium is on there. The orchid, it's, I can't remember, is it Shurhu maybe? I don't grow that herb, so I don't have that name right off, the, the pinion name right off the top of my head. By the way, the um, I'd like to just reinforce to your listeners that the pinion medicinal name is the name of the medicine. It's not the name of the plant. So for example, somebody will send me an email or give me a call and say, hey, do you have any Don Shen? And I'll say, I have three Don Shens. Which one do you want? Do you want Salvia miltiariza, Salvia praiswellskii, or Salvia uh, boliana? Uh, those are all standard species within the Chinese pharmacopoeia for Don Shen. So it really is important uh, that we use the botanical name because it is very specific. Uh, and Don Shen is not a legal name here. And so if we're following good manufacturing practices of, of which I'm hoping everybody is starting to come on board with, or at least have an understanding with, that as we're starting to use herbs more and more, that the packaging is actually legal at this point where the package will say, you know, and maybe it does say Don Shen, that would be great because words are for communication. However, it also needs to say what genus and species is, is within that bag. That will help tighten up and keep us legal within the supply chain. And that's a whole nother issue. Hello, everyone. Andrew Sturman here. I've been working with clients in Chinese medicine dietary therapy for over two decades in New York City. My focus is beautiful, simple, delicious, and health-supportive home cooking. Good meals can be inspired by the strategies of classic herbal formulas so that each meal is infused with medical intention from appetizer to dessert. 
This requires an understanding of the energetic properties of grains, vegetables, meats, fruits, and more, and knowing which foods are moistening, drying, building, clearing, warming or cooling, as well as their directionality. I've organized these teachings in my two-volume book series, Welcoming Food, where you can learn this theory, practice it in your own kitchen, and love doing so. See the positive reviews and incredible testimonials from practitioners and patients who've brought this material into their own kitchens. Welcoming Food Books 1 and 2 can easily be found online, and if you'd like to follow me on Instagram, where I'll be posting cooking tutorials, you can find me at Welcoming Food. Back to you, Michael. Thanks very much. Yeah, that, that's an entire other issue. It's something certainly I haven't really thought that much about. I mainly work with these substances as a clinical practitioner. I figure Danshan is Danshan. Now I find out there's actually three different varieties. Do they have different medicinal qualities to your understanding? Um, that's, that's a good qualifier to my understanding. <laughs> um, so the vast, vast majority of people are not discerning between them. And they actually, in the clinic, uh, look in the pharmacy, actually look very similar. They're all red roots. Um, they're all salvias. Um, however, not all of the herbs, some of the herbs actually come from entirely different genuses. And so they're completely different plants. And so they don't look the same, but they still have the same pinion medicinal name. Most people are not that discerning. However, I do talk to a lot of herb nerds <laughs> and uh, some of them are definitely discerning which species they're interested in using. So I suspect that they have, you know, slightly different functions. You know, it's like if we think about an orange, you know, a caracara orange as opposed to a navel orange, they are going to taste different. But Medicinally speaking, I'm not sure how, how different that they are, but they do have slightly different flavors. And with flavor following function for a, you know, a non-Chinese herbalist like me, I can understand that. <laughs> yeah, that's the basis of our medicine. Yeah, that's right. Is the, is the flavor is, is very much a part of the function. Exactly. Tell us a little bit about what you currently have under cultivation. On the farm here, we have cultivated to this point about 260 different Chinese medicinal herbs from seed uh, in the nursery in through field cultivation and harvest. I like to think of myself as a farmer advocate. Part of my job and my mission of my business is to figure out how to cultivate these herbs and then dispense that information to growers and farmers. It's a big job. Not everybody has that that time, that inclination. Most farmers actually just take herbs or, or just take plants that they already buy and grow them. Or if it's easy seed, then they just grow those out. However, a lot of these herbs being perennial in nature, they're slow growing. They are undomesticated and unselected. And so a lot of them are very specific of how to grow them. A lot of folks may not have the skill set or the knowledge uh, to figure out how to cultivate them. There's all kinds of uh, multi-cycle situations for each individual herb to unlock the dormancy periods so that they start to grow. And some of them do grow fairly slowly. So Tianmendong, uh, asparagus cochin chinensis, that actually takes two years to germinate. 
peonies. To germinate. Yeah, and peonies oftentimes take two years to germinate. It's a species survivability situation, so it makes sense when you think about it from the the plant's point of view. And that's that's how I try and grow things. I try and think about it from the plant's point of view and what works best for them. And, and things start to fall into place. But if we try and treat every seed like a cultivated and selected lettuce, that's just not going to work. You know, it's like you sow a lettuce seed and boom, it, they all come up all at the same time and it's all very neat and you know exactly when you can harvest them or when you can transplant them, all these things. But the, the Chinese herbs, they all have their own schedules because they're wild in origin and we need to keep them that way. We don't really want to be selecting different traits for them because when we start mucking around with that, we are changing the chemical profiles and when we start changing the chemical profiles, it will start to affect the medicine. And I think we need to step out of that role and let nature do it because Chinese medicine is so old, we simply do not have the time to to conduct all these experiments for another 5,000 years. <laughs> so, uh, so we need to step out of the way and let nature do its job. And then in the long run, it will have the chemical outcomes in the clinic that we are uh, expecting. I'm just sitting here looking out my window. I've got these nice windows that look out on my yard. There's a bunch of trees, lots of plant material out there. Thinking about all these things that grow in their own time, their own season, their own pace. You were just talking about lettuce, and I had this image in my mind of all these good soldiers standing up at the same time, marching in a line, you know, like we were all taught in school, stand in line, raise your hand to talk, blah, 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 blah. The plants that we use as medicine, they're not good soldiers. You know, they're these independent wild creatures. And what I hear you saying is in, in service of these plants, in service of our patients, in service of, of nature, what you are looking to do is not turn these things into cultivated plants. You're looking to create environments where these things can flourish in the way that nature has taught them to flourish over the course of, you know, eons. That's what it sounds like your work is. You're not looking to make a farm. You're looking to make this kind of uh, ecosystem. Uh, yes. Yes and no. Um, I'm trying to mimic nature and kind of stand out of the way. Mm. Yeah. And it does take, it does take some time. <laughs> How do you go about mimicking nature? That's actually not so hard. Uh, it's actually easier than cultivating, you know, in, in a very strict environment and trying to get the plants to adhere to us and our ways and our schedules and things like that. I've backed it around so that I look at the plant and I see what the plant wants. I look up where the plant comes from in China. And so if it comes from an environment that is similar to my environment, it seems like a good bet for me to grow here, at least to try as a start. If it's from a greatly different environment, it might not be a good idea uh, for me to grow it here. It would be more work on my part to modify the environment so that it is happy. And I do do that. I have a, a little greenhouse set up here for for Ma Huang, 
because I'm trying to grow out Ma Huang seed and we're having great success. Uh, and that's wonderful. But I'm in Northern California on the coast. This is not Ma Huang territory. <laughs> it's not Ma Huang territory, no. no <laughs> it is not. But I don't have anybody else right now to create and, and grow out the seed with the specific background that this seed comes from. I know where a lot of this seed originally was harvested in China. I have an interest in this specific germplasm that I'm growing. And so it's like, okay, I just have to grow it myself, which is fine. And so I modified an environment. I modified it greatly. Is it cost effective for me as a farmer to do that? No. But my mission is to, to keep this collection alive and to do that and to have that security of that mahuang, very important plant, is to modify that environment. But going back to cultivating plants with wild intent and to try and mimic nature, I look at where that plant comes from. Is it a forest plant? Is it a savanna plant? It is, is it a water plant? And can I accommodate it here in a manner that is, it is not like invasive. I have to be careful of invasive plants. Like I would never put a water plant in our pond because our pond is open to the San Francisco Bay. <laughs> so I'm not going to do that because I don't want to introduce a Chinese herb that might become a pest. So I'm very careful about that. But if I have another you know, area that is more secure and I want to grow a water plant, sure, maybe that would work. Something like, again, the Cesarea costus. Um, that is a pond-side plant. And that's one reason why it's actually endangered is because China is draining their wetlands and not to call the kettle black, the United States has drained most of our wetlands as well. And so there's not very many wetlands left for the, for the Muxiang to be growing in. We do have an area that's secured. And so we're trying to grow, you know, that herb out here. Maybe it makes a good herb, maybe it doesn't, but it's very endangered and we have the material. And so I hope to cultivate it enough to get material, you know, germplasm as in seed to be able to disseminate so that we can lessen the pressures of wild harvest of that plant. So I'm trying to match the environment to the particular herb. And I have students all over the United States at this point. Like I have a student that's in Reno or outside Reno. She is definitely going to be the recipient of some of these plants that we're growing, these little tiny mahuang plants that are now germinating in the, in the greenhouse. And so she will be um, growing out some of those because she has the perfect environment uh, that matches the native environment of where ephedra sinica in this case comes from. So I just try and find out how the plant likes to grow. And I try and mimic that low fertilizer. I don't give hardly any inputs. It's easier on me as a farmer. It's cheaper for me as a farmer to try and just go with the flow and step out of the way. So low inputs. I do always grow cover crops in between uh, medicinal herb crops. I think that's very important to keep the soil biology alive. Uh, and thriving and to have as many uh, creatures uh, in the soil uh, growing off those root exudates as possible. And Chinese herbs is, is, is really good that way because they are perennials, mostly are perennials anyway. There's hardly any annuals. And so there ends up being less tillage. And so less tillage means that there is a more stable 
soil food web, and it tends to be more fungi-based. Uh, so that's quite good because it it makes it so that that the the biology is not fractured so frequently uh, as happens in our uh, annual rotation of our vegetable crops. And so it, it leads to a healthier soil food web, which basically means that we have healthier plants and it's easier to grow. Generally speaking, of course, it takes more time to grow Chinese herbs. I mean, there are very few annuals, as I mentioned, but if you've got space and time, it's less work in the long run. You're building and attending to an ecosystem, which sounds a lot like the practice of Chinese medicine when you come right down to it, doesn't it? Yes, and it fits so nicely in with polyculture or permaculture or integrated you know, planting systems. There's many, many names for growing uh, plants in community, uh, even companion planting. And so it works really well with hedgerow situations, into gardening situations. It's quite nice and quite quite pleasant. It's actually pretty. Uh, you know, it's it's quite attractive looking. And it's really very nice for the environment because the, there's so many things that are flowering at different times. There's a lot of pollen available uh, for our insects. There's oftentimes a lot of fruit for our birds. So it actually is, is quite nice for the, uh, for the environment. From what I'm gathering in the short time that we've been talking, you've got, you've got students, it, it's, they're probably practitioners or in some ways interested. They're learning this, but it also sounds like because they live in different ecosystems, there are particular plants that perhaps they could grow very well. You almost sound like some kind of mothership where you've got all these uh, germplasms, all this attention given to keeping species alive and vital, and then distributing them in places where they will do quite well. Tell us a little bit about what you teach and who you teach and, and about that piece of the network, because I'm hearing about a web of life here. And I'd like to hear about the uh, side that your students and the other people that are doing this work. Yes, I'm quite interested in working with people that are that are folks that are interested in sharing and giving and working together, because this is a very big project. I've been working on this for a long time, and when I first started, I was just you know an average grower. And I thought I will just start growing Chinese herbs and I'll just sell them, you know, just as per regular farming. And then it got to be where people would want formulas and there was so many herbs that were needed. I mean, there are hundreds and thousands of, of medicinal plants that make up the Chinese pharmacopoeia and no farmer can grow all of those. At the most, we grew like 40 and when we started getting to 45 as a, you know, as an active row cropping operation, I, you know, it was tweaking me. It was just way too many things to keep track of. Like, you know, how do you grow this? How many years in ground? Um, it does this particular crop really like calcium and do I need to throw some oyster shell at it? And how exactly do I harvest it? And then what happens? What's post harvest? And, um, you know, just everything that needed to happen. It was just, a lot to keep track of. It got to be pretty clear to me that we needed to 
I needed to get together and find other people that were growing Chinese herbs so that we could work together in, and make an understanding and and make whole formulas. I've been teaching for a long time. And so when I do workshops, uh, a lot of the workshops were very intensive and I would go and I, and I welcome other people to invite me, uh, whether it's agricultural conferences or A&OM conferences or different colleges uh, would invite me to come and speak. And we would get and invite uh, different practitioners, you know, different Chinese herbalists and local farmers and farming groups for wherever I happen to be. And we would get together and we would, sometimes groups would actually form out of these one, two, three, four, five day long um, sessions on growing Chinese herbs. And so it was very attractive to each group because the growers didn't necessarily know what in the world anybody, you know, which herbs did they want of all of these different herbs? Who wants what? And what is it supposed to look like? And they had all these questions, but they had an interest. There's a lot of entrepreneurial farmers out there. And so they needed the support of who, what, where, why, when, you know, all this stuff. And then the practitioners were like, I can't find the quality that I want, or I used to get what I liked and now I can't find it anymore, or I don't like the quality. It, it seems like it's got too much sulfur, or I just plain can't get it, or I'd like to have, I'd like to have a domestic herb, you know, I'd like to participate in this process a little bit more, uh, or it may just be that I want fresher herbs. So we'd get these people together and uh, they would start to work together to try and make a local uh, situation to for the, each of these uh, industry groups to serve each other. It's a big job. It's a big job for all involved. Uh, but at this point, given the situation from China, where even China is now importing Chinese herbs from other Asian countries into China and exporting them out as Chinese herbs because they've exceeded the carrying capacity for some of the herbs. So there's a lot of pressure in a number of different ways. Um, so it makes a lot more sense to grow our herbs here, at least some of them, the ones that we can get to grow well and perform well. And we need to be, you know, looking at these these qualities. But it makes a lot of sense for us to be growing here at this point. And so that is what I've been spending a lot of time on. And it's going to take all stakeholders. And we're going to need help. Before, previously, in agricultural situations, oftentimes our land-grant colleges uh, would help and kick out the information and do some studying to try and find out how to cultivate a particular crop, and then they'd give those specs to the farmers, and so the farmers could just take it and run with it. Well, our land-grant colleges have been co-opted by people that are now strictly doing genetically modified and have patenting uh, interests. They no longer are doing traditional breeding of any nature. So we, we kind of got kicked out to the alley and we're on our own at this point. But to the industry itself, the ANOM industry is getting kicked back to that. The agriculturists don't necessarily understand that there is a huge need for that, but the ANOM community certainly should. And if they, if they 
don't or haven't, they need to to wake up and smell the coffee because you know what's coming around the the turn there is is not attractive. And if they want to have the tools of their trade, if they'd like to have good quality herbs, if they'd like to have a non-broken system where they continuously are able to get the herbs, then they're going to have to participate in making sure that we have a venture happening here. It's not uh, like going to the grocery store and expecting to just buy anything whenever you want. It takes time to grow these things. Two basic misconceptions stand in the way of people feeling comfortable using Chinese herbal medicine, even as they are feeling more positive about acupuncture. They are concerned about safety as herbal medicine is an unregulated industry and feel herbs are not effective to treat most conditions. Blue Poppy is committed to meeting all FDA safety regulations. All of their herbal products contain minimal or no filler to maximize potency and efficiency. Their granules are carefully manufactured in GMP-certified facilities, and every batch is tested multiple times for pesticides, heavy metals, and microbial content at the manufacturer and by SGS Laboratory, a Swiss certification and inspection company. For over 20 years, Blue Poppy has made quality and safety manufacturing standards their biggest priority, resulting in exceptionally effective herbal formulas. Their years of experience provide you with the best possible herbs so your patients have the best possible outcomes. With free shipping and free dropship service on orders over $50, Blue Poppy should be your favorite place to shop for herbs. Use the code CHI2024 to receive 10% off Blue Poppy products on your next order. It takes time to understand how to grow these things. Yes. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. I've got a I got a couple quick questions. First of all, what is the ANOM? Oh, ANOM, Acupuncture and Oriental Medicine. Oh, Acupuncture and Oriental Medicine. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry about that. <laughs> I should know things like this. <laughs> this sounds like both a, a a bit of a crisis but also an opportunity. Yes. Which there's actually you know the Chinese characters for Danger and opportunity is the word for crisis. It's actually true. So the land-grant colleges have now been co-opted to do, you know, genetic and patented stuff. Right. So on one hand, we can look at that and go, uh-oh, now we're in trouble. But on the other hand, I suspect anyone who's a bit entrepreneurial looks at that, licks their chops and go, here's a place I can make a difference. What are you seeing in terms of concerns much like yours, or people with a heart similar to yours that are looking at the situation and going, there's a lot of good we can do here, but we got to roll up our sleeves and get to work. Right. What else is going on here besides what you're doing? There's a couple of different groups around the United States that are all trying to do similar things. Jean Jablet, uh back east at High Falls Gardens, uh, she's a very similar cohort, and we have worked a fair amount together. She's in New York. Uh, I'm on the West Coast, so it's nice to have a multi-pronged approach. For the farmers, um, there are entrepreneurial farmers. However, in the climate that we have at this point, it is very difficult, very difficult for a farmer. It's almost impossible uh, for a farmer to try and solely support 
the emerging market of Chinese herbs to the point where we've had a number of really good folks go out of business because it's been too hard. Early on, we had no support whatsoever from the acupuncture and oriental medicine community. Now when I speak, I'm a little bit bullheaded about it, and I say, we need all stakeholders involved. I used to shy away from that. I don't shy away from it anymore. We need the help. I oftentimes hear practitioners say, oh, I don't have the, you know, I don't have the time. I don't have the money. But, you know, just to be really frank, farmers work harder and longer hours than acupuncturists. It's in the acupuncturist's interest to help farmers create their herbs. Bottom line, I mean, I just have to be just very bold and clear about it now. You know, farmers are really trying. I have really tried. It's just going to take all of us to do it. It would be really nice to to get some support to try and figure out how to grow some of these herbs. We have some herbs that we don't know how to grow yet. It's a lot of experimentation and it takes time and it takes a lot of effort. And the ANOM community can't expect another group to support their effort without their inputs. So for those of us that are acupuncturists, and more importantly, those of us that are herbalists, how can we help? What can we do? Um, you, can, um, you can participate in, in the emerging market um, by helping support uh, growers, and we're trying to get some uh, venues going. Over here on the West Coast, some of my students are putting together a group, an association of which they still need to pick a name, but they are moving and endeavoring forward. Uh, and there's a number of people involved. It's not just growers, but it's also acupuncturists. There's a lot of work to be done in trying to, to start up uh, a collaborative group. It takes uh, time, it takes money, it takes expertise. And so we're trying to uh, get folks that have uh, different skill sets so that we can work on databasing and so that we can have, you know, a treasurer. I, you know, it's like none of the farmers want to be a treasurer, you know, so that we can try and gather funds so that we can do outreach to farmers and, you know, lots of different things. And so we're trying to also create a brokerage so that we can sell the farmers' goods the average farmer of anything spends at least 50% of their time trying to sell their crop. Well, for Chinese medicine, it's not nearly that much because everybody wants our herbs because people are like really excited when they see them and smell them and they want them. However, you still have to do some outreach. And so we need to form a whole organization out here and we've got a really good core group of people. I don't want to see it fail because it's too much work for the few people that are trying to do it, you know, the, or the farmers that are midnighting, you know, trying to set up databases and, you know, and things like that. We need, we need, we need help. We need help on lots of different levels. If somebody could set up a grant or offer funds, uh, that would be really great. We would really appreciate that. I could certainly write a very, um, or one of the students or, somebody else could write a, a grant that is a very, a very uh, detailed, outlined, something that could be whatever is of the interest of the funder. There's so many different things that we need. I've got a whole list of things that are very, very cool. 
buying herbs that are of uh, pedigree, if you want to, if you want to call it that, if trying to buy from China herbs that are based on quality, whole herbs would be, would be a good thing to do. We also don't have a facility in the United States to actually process Chinese herbs. And that is solely in the acupuncture or oriental medicine community. We don't have any Chinese pharmacists. All of the powder is pretty much done in China still. And it gets shipped over here already processed. That is something uh, we actually don't have anybody that can teach organoleptics, sensory analysis. Um, that would be a really important thing for both uh, agriculturists and Chinese herbalists. It's a very important component that we seem to have missed the mark on in the United States. Chinese medicine is great, and it's going to be a little bit different than it is in China, just because the nature of the people that are being served, if nothing else. However, we need to have the whole picture, and we are missing that component. So I have a little challenge to put it out to somebody if they have that skill set to foster organoleptic analysis, because it's very important. I'm not somebody who hangs out in one camp or the other of either organoleptics or laboratory analysis. We need all of these tools, and it would be really nice to have them on board if we can educate our Chinese herbalists to uh, understand more about organoleptics, then we will uh, elevate our knowledge here of people that are using Chinese herbs. It's so important to be able to discern good quality uh, wherever it may come from. What is What exactly is organoleptics? Is it the ability to look at a particular plant and know, oh yeah, this is good, this is not good, it's missing this, it's got that. What what exactly is this? Well, just off the cuff, organoleptics uh, is sensory analysis, and it is all the empirical knowledge that's, that's handed down pretty much from one herbalist to another in China, but we, we, we missed that boat here. So it's, it's what something looks like. It's what something tastes like. It's all of the attributes that make up an herb and make up a set of qualities that people will say, this is a good herb, or this is almost a good herb, or, <laughs> you know, or this is a terrible herb or whatever. It's, it's, it's the things like when you when you go into your pharmacy and you get out some boha, does it have the qualities that you're looking for? First of all, since it's an aromatic, does it have a strong fragrance? I mean, just as a very easy, basic, first line thing. Or is it green? Uh, is it a whole leaf? Or is it is it some powder that is brown that doesn't smell like anything? That's a very simple thing. But organoleptics, it's kind of like enology, you know, from the wine trade. It's a whole set of criteria that needs an education. And it's an education that is largely taught in person. It is largely not taught by books, which is maybe one reason why they, they eschewed it here. I'm not sure. Well, we didn't have anyone to teach it. Maybe nobody really understood it. It sounds like we need more modern-day shenongs. Yes. Who can look, smell, eat, touch, feel, experience, and go, yep, here's what this is. Exactly. Yeah, that is exactly the nail on the head. We don't necessarily have – we have very, very few people 
um, that have that skill set. And the few that I have met don't feel necessarily qualified to teach it. However, that doesn't mean that we can't ask somebody that is a qualified organoleptic analysis person from China to come over and teach us. Wow, what an interesting class that would be. <laughs> yes. You know, I'm thinking I'm thinking of like drinking tea or or drinking wine. And there's not just the experience of the taste, but there's the experience of the color and how something is in your presence and what happens with your nose and where does that scent take you? Can you feel it in your body somewhere? I mean, there's all kinds of ways of using our sensory apparatus. It's not just about, oh, this herb equals that. The question is, how are we using our sensorium? Exactly. So I think it would make practitioners be much more effective if they really understood the depth of that flavor. I couldn't agree more. We're having this conversation and I hear you talking about there's all these places where people could do some work and help and contribute. And and it occurs to me that these days there's a lot of doctorate programs in Chinese medicine, people working on different projects and research and clinical studies and you know, this, that, and the other thing. Are you seeing many people who are working on a doctorate who are coming to this world that you inhabit, so to speak, and looking to help? I've got some doctorate work I want to do. How can I help in furthering herbs here in the West? Are you yeah, I got a letter yesterday from a student from like 10 years ago uh, saying that she just graduated with her doctorate and she would like to participate in our project. That's exactly who I want to hear from. But she didn't quite know where to go from there. I totally get that. However, when they do the doctorate, I know that there's so many things and it's a very serious program. I mean, the entire Chinese medicine is very serious and very, uh, very thorough and it's a big deal. It takes up a huge amount of time and, and it's, you know, there's a lot to it. However, even all the way through the doctorate program, they don't teach any botany. So you don't even know the basis of the plants that are in use. I mean, the herbalist as a practitioner is the last line of defense before something gets to a, to a patient. And if somebody gives the wrong thing, it can be deleterious. And we know that from history. It doesn't happen that, very, that often, but we need to be really careful. And consequently, over here on the agriculture side, where I teach very good diligence for making sure that we know exactly what we have so that when we dispense it to the practitioners, that they can be assured of what they have because they do not have the skill set to know what they're looking at. Right. We have the skill set to prescribe. That's right. And and maybe we know what it looks like. But these days, I know most of my herbs come in a bottle. They're pre-cooked. Now, I was lucky that when I studied them, you know, we had actual herbs that we would look at and smell and taste and touch. Right. And all that stuff. Well, you can still do the tasting. The tasting will still work even if it's a ground-up powder. That's true. Yeah. And I mean, and there is compliance, you know, patient compliance. I certainly understand that. But we just need some more awareness. So we are having doctorate students, you know, or graduates that are coming through. And, and that's nice. And they understand and have a, have a deep uh, desire to really make a difference. And some of them certainly find their way 
uh, here to, to continue to try and make a difference. And that's wonderful. And I do appreciate that. And we need more of those. Yeah, there's a, there's a lot of different ways people can, can participate. I, I encourage people to get on my website, which is just ChineseMedicinalHerbFarm.com and take a look. And if they have some questions or they would like to participate to give me a contact me and we can work with whatever skill set and interests they have to try and make the industry better in all ways because it's a, it's a gift to humanity and we need it more so than ever with what's been going on, not only in the world and with our environment, but with our current state of uh, healthcare. We certainly have our work cut out for us. I, I want to thank you for a couple of things. First, for taking the time today. Second, for the amazing work that you're doing and that you've been doing. You know, the herbs are something that, again, as a practitioner, I'm familiar with prescribing. I don't know much about how they get here, what the life of an herb is like before, you know, it becomes, to me, a, a medicinal substance. So your work is incredible. It's needed. And for all y'all out there that are listening, you know, we've been talking about some places where if you want to make a difference, you can make a difference. So don't hesitate to go to Peg's website and check it out. Thank you so much for your time today, Peg. Any final thoughts you'd like to leave us with before we say goodbye for today? Um, only that I totally appreciate everybody's efforts uh, in trying to make a better world and to try and just do good in this world. We, we need all of that that we can get these days. So thank you. Thanks as always for listening. If you liked this conversation, if you learned something new or found a moment of inspired insight, share the episode with your friends. If you want to support Geological, there's just one way to do that. It's by going to the website and becoming a member or leaving a one-time contribution today. Well, folks, that's it for today. Join us again next Tuesday for another conversation that connects up the voices of our community. Mm -hmm.